This episode of the SAP HANA Enterprise Cloud Podcast features IDC analyst Henry Morris, along with Dr. Arndt Alexander Bonart and Ted Basile from SAP, recorded live October 10th, 2017. Today's session will focus on managing the transition to SAP HANA, a catalyst for IT transformation. We have a jam-packed agenda featuring two thought leaders, one from IDC and one from SAP's HANA Enterprise Cloud Organization. In today's session, we're going to explore how you manage the transition to SAP HANA, all the new architectures that you'll have to consider when you look at all the required multi-cloud accelerators some of which will force many IT organizations to realize that they have fairly large skills gaps to be able to address some of those transitions. We're going to talk about how private managed cloud managed services can address those skills gaps and how those skills can be leveraged to support strategic business engagements for your overall um, business value. The format today will include a moderated Q&A at the end. There is a, a chat room for Q&A as the presentation is progressive. If you have any questions you'd like to have us answer at the end, uh, we will reserve 10 to 15 minutes at the end to go through as many questions as we can. And with us today is Henry Morris, IDC fellow responsible for big data analytics, and cognitive software research. Also with us is Dr. Arndt Bernhardt, Global Head of SAP Enterprise Cloud Enhanced Managed Services. And my name is Ted Basili. I'm your moderator for today's webinar. So what drives a customer's cloud and digital revolution? If you read a lot of the reports from IDC on this topic, you'll tend to see three that come up very, very frequently. And these tend to be a consequence of not going to a digital business. Improved customer interactions, how you get closer to your existing customers. This requires a 360-degree view of the customer relationship from operations requires a lot of data. And typically, your interactions with your customers need to happen via, via mobile. So you need to have a development platform platform that integrates with your core applications. Second, there's an ongoing skills revolution that's going to, going to be taking place, and you'll need to look at ways to offset that next wave of automation. Typically, your in-house expertise on SAP is likely not current, and you're still operating several legacy applications that could be migrated to innovative new platforms. And maybe the depth of your application customizations and personalizations will forever set you years behind in the release schedule. And then lastly, you need to look at ways to how you can leverage your digital assets more effectively. This becomes a catalyst for how you coalesce all of your data across all of your lines of business, and then use all that data to really implement real-time analytics. But it also means that you need to utilize some of that shelfware to figure out a strategy for some of those un unused IT assets. That's our opening. I'll uh, transition this over to uh, Henry Morris. 
Thank you, Ted, and welcome, everyone, wherever it's uh, morning, afternoon, or evening, where you are, and uh, happy to speak with you uh, today. Uh, see the title is Managing the Transition to SAP HANA, but also note that the uh, subtitle uh, context for this is uh, a catalyst for IT transformation. And if you think about it, now I've been uh, in the uh, IT business for 35 years. Uh, I've been uh, writing about SAP for over 20 years. And if you think about uh, where we've been and where we're going, it's to think of a time that there was a greater transition, more changes to technology and to challenges to the business than today. And just think of a uh, few things. We recently did a study on uh, the uh, movement of SAP customers to S4 HANA, and uh, they were putting in a new ERP system. The existing system, in many cases, was 20 years old, and what was 20 years ago, this is about when people were worrying about getting ready for the uh, year 2000, the whole Y2K uh, uh, challenges uh, or hysteria, whatever, but that's when many of these systems were in, and they say now those systems are out of date relative to the uh, business goals to be a digital business. Just changes to the technologies. When I started in this field, relational databases were just getting started. The uh, relational databases, traditional relational databases, have been in place for several uh, decades, but we see new technologies uh, coming in that are building, uh, extending the relational model, in some cases uh, looking at uh, other technologies, SAP HANA being one example, using in-memory columnar new types of uh, technologies. So all this puts a challenge to uh, IT to manage this and to change their role to be able to help the uh, business move to, uh, to be more of an information-driven digital type of company. So as we think about these types of changes, they present management challenges, and I'll be looking at three areas in this presentation and sharing with you some research from IDC about what buyers are saying in terms of looking at the uh, skills gaps that they have, what are they saying about considering managed services for their applications and technology uh, portfolio? And how do they go about changes and some recommendations that uh, I've learned from, uh, from buyers and from organizations in, in conversations and from uh, survey work that uh, IBC has done? So it's these three areas that we'll look at. Uh, the skills gap, considering uh, managed services, and how do you go about uh, providing management for the change and governance of the uh, overall environment. So let's consider about moving and deploying SAP HANA. And what we say here is it's a multi-layer challenge. And think about this from the uh, bottom of this picture. Uh, there are new applications, I already mentioned, that applications that are replacing uh, existing ERP systems uh, are placing systems that may have been in place for 20 years or more. And there are different types of applications. They're based on large data sets, may have structured, even unstructured uh, data, and the applications incorporate new ways of getting uh, business done that uh, represent new ways that people are doing business. Many of the adopters of S4HANA told me that they were uh, facing competitors who weren't even in existence 20 years ago and they felt uh, hamstrung by the fact that they did not have the agility with their uh, legacy uh, application systems in contrast to those organizations who had more agility with newer technologies. 
and applications are built on uh, databases. I mentioned this move from relational to new types of uh, databases, incorporating in-memory technology for faster access and columnar technology that are set up to be able to easily access a group of records rather than one record at a time for better performance. Originally, uh, technologies like uh, SAP HANA were for analytic types of workloads, but now we see that they are being used for analytics and transactional workloads. In fact, uh, many applications incorporate both support for analytics and uh, transactions with the analytics in context of the transactions. That's not the way applications were built before, but that's the case now. Now, new uh, infrastructure. Uh, we move to uh, incorporating more open source technologies, uh, moving from Windows to Linux, from uh, on-premise to cloud. You see in that uh, new deployment uh, platform. And in fact, we see many organizations, if they consider their application portfolio, it's a mix. And it's a mix of uh, on-premise applications, Applications in the public cloud, say that line of business might have uh, subscribed to, say areas like sales and um, HR, and also private cloud managed services. That combination provides a challenge to manage. So in order to hone in on this idea of this being a hybrid world, and that we think is the reason for these uh, skills gaps, you're having to manage an environment where you have a mix of on-premise, public and private cloud deployments. Now, the way to read this chart is you see that uh, vertical line with the uh, dashes. That line is at 73%, and that means that 73% of the people we surveyed claim to have a hybrid cloud strategy, a mix of private cloud, public clouds of, of, uh, of different sorts per application, as well as continuing investment in uh, on-premise. That 73%, what you see on the left-hand side of this chart are some of the things that you would need to manage such a hybrid uh, environment. Uh, you probably have uh, multiple um, external cloud services. Each uh, software-as-a-service application would have its own deployment uh, parameters. And you may have this mixed with uh, public cloud and dedicated uh, assets. Now, how are you going to manage that? Well, we recommend that uh, you have an architecture that enables you to take the uh, assets, the deployment uh, assets that you uh, have, and be able to configure and then provision the resources that you need for that application. And you see the next part, portable workloads with automated bursting. The ability to take a workload and move it from one environment to another, perhaps get additional uh, infrastructure support from the cloud, from infrastructure as a service, with automated bursting, in other words, using automation to detect when there are more resources, more compute resources, say, that you need, and the ability to bring in those resources in a scalable way, in an automated uh, fashion, to be, able, to be able to take multiple workloads and, and do that, and to be able to manage all of IT under the same service catalog. Now, that's, uh, that's a lot of requirements, and what we see is, you see that uh, uh, the red uh, numbers there, 18 to 37% of a skills gap in terms of you look at the 73% and what people have in place, which are those green bars. Uh, as I was ticking off all of those examples, you see there is a gap from where the green bars end and where that uh, vertical line uh, happens. And just to highlight a few points, this idea of portable workloads with bursting every time you have a 
increase in uh, in need for uh, uh, peak performance. Only 39% had that. That's clearly short of the uh, 73%. A unified service catalog, 62% of the uh, the people have uh, implemented but that's short of the number of people who claim to have a hybrid cloud strategy. And that 61% believe they lack the IT staff skills to use cloud automation tools. It really is all about automation, but do you have a staff that can take advantage of automation to be able to detect even in real time when there are additional requirements for your applications? When you look, put all of this together, the conclusion that we reach is, the level of skills in IT organizations versus the requirements are uh, is a, represents a significant gap. And now what are you going to do about that? You have two choices. You could say, well, we have to go and uh, either retrain or bring uh, uh, new, uh, new skills, new IT people, but you probably don't have uh, additional uh, budget to do that. The other approach that people are taking is to look at uh, additional help through a managed service so that I can uh, uh, use the managed service to, uh, to do these uh, operations uh, tasks that, uh, that I've outlined here, and then freeing IT staff to do new types of work, working with the line of business, helping them to become uh, ability to use information and data to perform their jobs. So that is the... Uh, the issue with the IT gap, and we're seeing that IT skills gap. We're seeing that many organizations are moving to uh, to private cloud. That was the uh, conclusion, uh, one of the conclusions of the study we did on S4 adopters. When uh, people were worried about uh, if they're considering S4, do we have all the skills that we need? And those who uh, have or adopted S4, uh, they had strong support for a private managed cloud service like HEC. Okay, so. Um, in the data that we have, we ask people, all right, if you think about your application portfolio, how much of that portfolio is managed by an external provider through an application managed service? That's 30% today. It's not 30% organizations, 30% of their application portfolio. Then we ask them to project out in five years. And uh, the organizations we surveyed said within five years, that number will move to 41% of their application portfolio being uh, under the management of a private cloud managed service. Again, in response to the uh, IT skills gap, we see this uh, shift from uh, management by your own staff in on-premise environment to this private cloud scenario with a managed service. If you are looking at a managed service provider, what are some of the criteria that you should consider in evaluating that uh, provider and selecting that provider. And based on a survey that we did related to application managed services, here are those attributes which were valued most by buyers and things I believe that you should consider if you are evaluating a managed provider. Number one, of course, is uh, a reasonable price. Uh, costs always a, uh, an issue given uh, budgets. But then you notice the next one it's not to do with technology at all, but rather a fit with the company, good communications, sharing common, uh, common goals, uh, culture, communication, and collaboration being a key to a successful relationship. Right after that, rather than simply saying uh, ability to uh, scale the infrastructure, buyers honed in on knowledge and understanding of the applications. They value detailed application knowledge. 
and data security. Very big, particularly if you go to any type of uh, cloud scenario. And then we get to issues about availability, those next two points. Uninterrupted application service levels is desired, but if there is any kind of problem or interruption, buyers value the speed in resolving service issues. So put all that together, and those are the criteria for a value-managed service provider. Now, we did an even more recent uh, study where we had some additional attributes uh, came up, and I want to share that with you as well. Here we were asking about the brand perception of providers of managed and cloud services. And if you look at this list, you'll see some of the same points that were on the last one, but there are a few new ones to add that I think are worth considering. High availability, rapid problem resolution. Those are the points I just talked about from that uh, uh, previous uh, survey. Rapid provisioning of applications, very important. But then notice the next one here, very granular services. I think buyers are recommending that it's not one size fits all. If they are setting up a relationship with a managed service provider, they want to be sure that the catalog is fairly broad and very specific in terms of meeting their needs. You see a little further down, it says highly localized by geography. That would be one dimension. Does this granular service specific to my geography? I once spoke at a a cloud conference in uh, Milan, I was the keynote speaker, and uh, I was the only speaker in English. It turned out right after that, there was a panel of lawyers. Why was there a panel of lawyers? Because they, uh, they were, uh, the audience was worried about how do we go to the cloud? Where is the data going to be uh, kept? And I had just met with a CIO uh, of a um, large uh, uh, food uh, company uh, near Milan, and they uh, the CIO was worried, saying, well, uh, his uh, SharePoint documentation, where is the data being kept? Is he responsible for that, given regulations? So again, localization by geography could be localization by uh, industry, localization in terms of uh, specialization, in terms of the specific application function that the uh, service is about. The point is, if you have a very broad and extensive uh, catalog that is pertinent to you. You can select just the services you want and make that as part of the uh, relationship that you establish with the uh, vendor. This seems to be more and more uh, valued by buyers in terms of what they want from a service provider and ones that they, an area that they look at in terms of a differentiation between one service provider and another. Okay, so. If you are looking at the area of uh, getting a managed service, uh, addressing some of these skills gaps, you have another choice, and that is, do you want to get separate services from different providers? Perhaps if one provider is good in one area, another provider is good in another area, or do you want to get a set of services from the same provider? And I'll just show you these two models, and we'll also look at what uh, our survey showed that uh, the trend for buyers in evaluating this choice, multiple uh, providers or a single provider. So here's the uh, type of model, which is a very common model, which is a service provider for each level of the uh, stack. If you go this from the uh, bottom up, very popular to go to a provider for infrastructure as a service. You get scalable infrastructure when you, uh, when you need it. Uh, if you get this, uh, infrastructure service, let's say, and you wanted to run an application like S4 HANA, that you would take the on-premise version of S4 HANA and run that on 
this um, infrastructure that a, a cloud provider has uh, provided. You're running it essentially on their uh, premises. Uh, now, uh, that means it's your responsibility to manage the uh, application, to patch the application, to, uh, to do the uh, upgrades, and so forth. Now, uh, you can uh, go to a uh, partner of the uh, infrastructure provider or some uh, other uh, service provider that you choose, and they will provide a hosted application management uh, service that would run on that uh, shared infrastructure, and they would be responsible for applying patches and updates and monitor application performance. You then would need a third relationship, which is we call BYOL, bring your own license. That is, you, you pay for the infrastructure service, you pay for the application management service in a separate contract, and of course you have a contract for the license for the software for the uh, uh, software that you are going to, uh, going to get. That is typically not provided by the infrastructure provider or the hosted application management uh, provider, but you get that yourself, then you can put it on the infrastructure, and you could, if you want, have it managed by the uh, application management service provider. So that is one uh, way. There are many uh, organizations that have gone this route. The other way is more of an uh, integrated approach. And um, later, uh, you'll hear from uh, Arndt about some uh, details about uh, SAP HEC. Just using this as an example to show that at each of these levels, there could be a group of services. These, in fact, are uh, categories of services within infrastructure management services, maintain the operating system, data center, and so forth, uh, within the application management services, managing change to the application, support for a particular uh, application function. If it's in the SAP world, you have uh, basis uh, support, which is the basic uh, uh, application infrastructure upon which uh, SAP applications have long been written. And then, of course, there's the uh, management of the uh, database, which, of course, used to be uh, third-party relational databases. Now, uh, many SAP customers moving to uh, SAP HANA. And, uh, and then there's the uh, relationship with uh, SAP. So you can get all of those services, those three levels, from the, uh, from the same provider. That's the uh, uh, descriptor of what uh, SAP HEC provides. And I said in this study of uh, S4 uh, adopters, I think this is one of the reasons why this was uh, gaining support was because they could get all of these uh, together. Um, the issue is really uh, a single provider or many providers. And sometimes people call this uh, model the single throat to choke. I'll just give you a, uh, an example, uh, not about this, but this idea of multiple IT providers versus a single uh, throat to choke has long been a, uh, uh, an issue in the uh, technology field. And uh, I once was a doing a, uh, some research on a uh, big data warehouse implementation, and it was a big e-commerce company, and uh, they were telling me about all the nice things that they were doing, but then they said, you know, our data warehouse went down for five days. And I said, went down for five days? How did that happen? And uh, they said, well, we're down for five days because uh, we had issues, and we weren't sure if the issues were with the server or the database. We went to one company, they, they, they pointed the finger at the other, one, the other company pointed the finger at the other, and they had a difficult time of things. And from that story, I realized that um, it's, uh, the, the issue of managing these relationships then was on the, uh, the buyer, and with a finger pointing, 
become a problem. So that, I think, is a reason why the move to uh, uh, reducing the number of service providers is the uh, way organizations are going. And here's some uh, data to support that trend. Here's a study that we've done uh, several, um, several times on managed service providers. We did the same uh, survey, same questions in 2012 and in 2015. If you look at the lower two bars, you will see those are uh, 2012. It says we're going to um, uh, keep uh, uh, reduce the uh, uh, total number of uh, service providers, uh, and uh, but not look to consolidate. But the uh, the other bar ahead of that says uh, we're looking to consolidate as well. So basically, those. Two lower bars represent this move to reducing the number of managed service providers. And you see that those combined were a little over 30% in the 2012 study, approaching 50% in the 2017 study. If you look at the two bars above those, those are the people who want to either expand or maintain the number of uh, service providers. And you see those, uh, those two bars in aggregate are, are shrinking. So the Ten, perhaps one of the reasons that I indicated, is to looking to uh, reduce the number of managed service providers for ease of uh, management because I think buyers rec recognizing that these are relationships that they have to manage. It becomes more difficult to manage a large number of these relationships, so they're looking to reduce that number. Now then, the next uh, thing to consider is the, uh, the ongoing governance of this uh, relationship. Now, Governance in the uh, uh, relationship from, uh, between your company and the uh, managed service provider has a number of dimensions. The first point we would make, if you look at that first uh, bullet, is around planning. Uh, if you are transitioning responsibilities from um, your IT staff to the managed service provider, take time to plan that transition of responsibilities uh, so you understand what uh, responsibilities that the uh, uh, managed service provider is, uh, is taking up. And you also have time to see how your people who are uh, doing some of that work uh, in-house can move to other parts of the organization. Because we see that's a, um, a typical scenario, again, in this S4 study. We found that uh, people were using this as an opportunity to see how they could reposition IT resources directly to work with a uh, line of business uh, rather than working in uh, in a uh, in a data center where they had very little direct uh, uh, contact with the uh, with the line of business, the next two air the next two bullets relate to another area, which is how to monitor this uh, relationship. So the first thing is to uh, clarify uh, key performance indicators map to the terms that you have included in the SLA, depending on which uh, services that you have uh, subscribed to. And then another way that, uh, another thing you want to look at, in fact, this would be a, a point in uh, selecting a uh, service provider, is to see uh, how are you going to be able to monitor this uh, relationship. It's just the fact that the person is managing IT, you still need to manage that relationship. Some service providers will provide dashboards or other types of metrics for you to be able to look at performance levels, availability levels, and see that they are uh, in keeping with the uh, parameters that were specified in the uh, agreement. And then the last two have to do with uh, communication. This is the relationship. So understand how you and your partner service provider will be able to uh, evaluate uh, the impact of, uh, of events 
And how can you, that's, that's on an event basis. But then also that last point is agree on a mechanism to have regular communication with the service provider so that uh, you can uh, bring any, uh, any uh, issues that have been uh, coming up on a, uh, on a periodic basis uh, and that you can to improve that relationship. I think this is the point and this is the reason why buyers who are evaluating the service providers thought that uh, a common uh, culture, common style of communication was the second most point right after cost in selecting a service provider. And you see that coming up here in our recommendations for how to manage the uh, enterprise service provider relationship. Now, change management, this idea of redirecting IT resources to strategic business uh, engagement. So this is a lesson, again, that I learned from this um, S4 study, and it's, uh, it was very important to see how the uh, organizations that we spoke to, actually, who were live with uh, S4, were, uh, before they, uh, they were live with S4, they set up a whole change management uh, process. Some of them change um, set up a change management board where they took representatives from each line of business who were redeployed to this uh, change management board. They were looking at what the application would look like. IT would help by prototyping what the uh, new system would, would be, how users would interact with it. The representatives from each line of business would take that and bring that back to their, uh, their line of business and that organization and come back with uh, feedback. So the ability to um, uh, take this as an opportunity to change the way IT and the line of business uh, work together as part of a revised role for IT, but it's also a revised role for line of business because the new applications assume that part of your job as a line of business manager is to work with data, be able to get up to real-time access to information with guidance about how you can make uh, changes to uh, avert any kinds of uh, business uh, impact that you might get uh, that you see through the uh, application. And that means that line of business people are not separated from technology, but need to be able to monitor their business using technology. They need IT help and support to be able to uh, do that. And that's the point you see there on the left. If you're able to uh, offload some of the low-level IT operations from IT folks, you can redeploy these uh, people to work with the uh, line of business to monitor events. In some cases, we found people were uh, using the information that they had to build in new types of data-driven products to provide a more compelling customer experience to their uh, customers. All these are technology and data-driven um, requirements, and requ the IT help with the line of business is needed to make that strategy work. Ultimately, you see there on the right, the ability to work with the line of business to enable business value, leveraging data for new types of customer engagement, new types of products and services. This, uh, this requires a new relationship between the line of business and IT. And we found that transition to SAP HANA, transition to S4 HANA, was an occasion for an organization to be able to implement this type of strategy. And that's something, again, to keep in mind in terms of getting more value out of the, uh, the technology. But part of that strategy we found in many cases was bringing on a managed service provider because that was work that IT had been doing with that time freed. They could work on these uh, new levels of strategic uh, engagements. 
So in conclusion, here are some things that, uh, that we've talked about. We, we talked about the, uh, the shift to uh, new technologies that are putting strain on IT, and as a result, the IT skills gap causing uh, many organizations to evaluate uh, bringing in managed service providers for a greater percentage of their application uh, portfolio. So that's the first point here if you're going to do that. Uh, it's key to look at a uh, managed service provider that understands the technology and the applications that can deliver, and it's a good fit culturally with your uh, organization so there can be good communication. The next point is there are levels of services at all layers of the stack. The best thing is to be able to evaluate a uh, provider that has a very broad and deep service uh, portfolio so you can select just the services that you need that might be specific to your type of company, your industry, your, uh, uh, your geography that meets your needs and that becomes the basis for the uh, relationship that is uh, established in the uh, service level agreement. Now, once you have that set up, the third point is make sure you have the means to govern this new environment. Look to the provider to help you find ways that you can get ongoing visibility to how things are going so that you can look at the uh, relationship and manage that with your uh, provider. And the last thing is use this opportunity to be able to make changes to uh, job functions, responsibilities in business and IT that you might have wanted to do but you felt resource constrained to do. The ability to get some outside help means that uh, you can employ these, uh, these people and uh, in IT, helping the line of business work, uh, work to, uh, for more technology-driven products and services that will generate business value. In that sense, IT becomes less a cost of the business, but one that is a partner in delivering business value. So we think these are things to, uh, to think about. And I'll turn it back to Ted, who will... Uh, help us get some, uh, some more information about uh, the SAP Managed Service HEC. Over to Ted. Thanks, Henry. Uh, very, very insightful. Uh, you know, we, uh, we, we're starting to talk to um, finance leaders, and uh, we're starting to hear them talk about, um, you know, the notion of, of measuring um, intellectual capital, uh, obviously something that's not really measured on any income statement or balance sheet, um, but the, the notion of, you know, building uh, a knowledge base and, uh, and value within your internal resources, um, you know, so that they can continue to add, um, you know, uh, benefits and, and um, you know, start aligning more closely to the business to, um, you know, support some of those uh, next major business transformations. Um, that seems to be fall, that seems to fall in line with uh, a lot of the uh, the insights that you had just uh, covered here. So excellent. Um, so folks, uh, we're just going to uh, pivot uh, over to um, a specific area around HANA Enterprise Cloud, uh, an area that we call functional application services. Um, and for those of you that aren't familiar with um, SAP HANA Enterprise Cloud or, or HEC, um, now HEC is uh, one of SAP's largest uh, cloud businesses to date, um, coming up on our, our five-year uh, five anniversary. And uh, as you can see here, we've got over 2,500 um, HANA databases or systems uh, currently under management today. Um, you know, we're approaching 700 global customers. 
uh, and these are all the same customers using um, you know, a, the same future-proof and SLA-driven reference architecture um, with all that same um, consistency. Um, we've, you know, we're exceeding and coming really close to um, five nines of SLA uptime. Uh, and just a note here, this spans the entire IT and application stack. This is just not the IT piece uh, on up to the, uh, the hypervisor. This is, um, you know, the, both of those together, which is really uh, how our customers uh, measure it. Um, you know, we've got uh, some really, really large HANA instances that we're managing today. Um, 35 terabytes uh, is one that I know of, uh, and I've uh, also just heard earlier today that that environment's now uh, grown to close to 50 terabytes. So um, they're pretty large, and um, we've got customers that are, are saving as much as 50 50% uh, 50 uh, in overall TCO versus uh, how they would have deployed uh, and implemented some of these environments uh, on-premise. Uh, and we've got uh, some pretty wide adoption, uh, a number of household brands and names here, Under Armour, Dow, Toyota, New York Life, uh, Yeti Coolers, to name a few. And we're, we're pretty evenly distributed across you know, all the five regions that SAP supports. So this is not just a, a North America thing or a uh, or, or Australia, New Zealand thing. This is, um, we're seeing heavy adoption across um, uh, all of uh, SAP's uh, regions uh, pretty evenly. So just quickly, um, you know, these are the six core unique capabilities that uh, SAP HANA Enterprise Cloud um, brings to, uh, to our customers. Um, I'll just do a quick, quick flyby on this before I, uh, I shift it over to uh, uh, Dr. Barnett. Um, but essentially, um, service level guarantees, as I mentioned before, um, we really provide a full IT and application uh, stack, um, which is really our overall philosophy. Um, and it's really how our customers uh, measure it as well, which is the, the measure, uh, measurement bar or barometer that we use. Um, HANA Cloud Expertise, uh, essentially, if you're going to run SAP in the cloud, SAP wrote the manual on, on how to do it. We've got more. Uh, HANA-based expertise in the cloud than anyone else. Um, thirdly here, uh, middle left, functional application and technical support. Uh, this is the one that uh, um, uh, my colleague is going to go um, uh, double-click on in, in a, a little bit more detail than I can. Um, industry business and process scoping, um, you know, all the same um, industry processes uh, that you would look to deploy uh, S4 HANA on an on-premise environment. Um, you can do it in a private managed single tenant cloud uh, with us. Um, all the same business outcomes are the same. Uh, and then lastly, um, you know, we have an ability to allow you to extend your investment uh, and continue that innovation through the integration that we have uh, with the SAP Cloud Platform. Uh, allows our customers to further um, personalize their existing applications uh, and really choose from a number of different uh, third-party applications, um, either in the SAP App Center, uh, that allows them to bring the full IT landscape of their uh, core SAP or S4 uh, HANA environment um, and connect that to a number of either uh, mobile applications or new applications that are being in development. So this is really about the glue that ties your core SAP landscape together um, out to some of those new applications that uh, may be on the periphery that may be um, being developed. Um, but here, uh, I just wanted to uh, transition this uh, over to my colleague here where he's going to spend a little bit more time 
um, uh, focused on um, our functional application um, and technical capabilities. So, uh, Dr. Bart, over to you. Ted, thank you for the nice introduction of the HANA Enterprise Cloud AGC. And um, let me try to give a little bit more light on the managed services component within and on top of um, SAP HANA Enterprise Cloud. So already within um, the base service, we have everything included, which is typically um, from um, the SAP infra, from SAP bases all the way down to the infrastructure from the management of uh, the data center facility um, included. So everything from the very low to um, what we call SAP bases, and you might um, notice uh, in the past we had a clear differentiation between the database layer and the SAP basis layer. Now with SAP HANA and the HANA enabled and HANA based applications, this boundary between the database layer and the basis layer is already blurring. So therefore we said we include everything which um, needs to be done on a technical level to run and operate um, the solution. On top, we put technical services, which we call enhanced managed services, which um, either be needed only sporadically by customers, like an additional client copy, like an additional backup, like uh, implementing a, um, um, a technical support pack, etc. Um, and we need to do this because we are owning um, uh, the solution. We have uh, control about client zero, and um, um, the customer should not touch uh, these parts of the system. So this very sp um, uh, sporadic engagement with uh, additional managed services is very well perceived by companies who have very large um, SAP um, basis teams, um, uh, mostly more than uh, 10, 20 years of experience of running uh, SAP systems, and they're good with this. And they have uh, maybe here and there already HANA experiences. So they say this low-level engagement is very, very good for us. Um, maybe we are using these enhanced managed services only maybe in a um, uh, pay-per-use mode. Other customers, as well, mostly uh, net new customers, are engaging on a an, on an higher level uh, in this technology area. So they do not want to build expertise on, on their own. They do not want to build an SAP basis team. They want to have SAP let everything do um, what is needed to run an operating system. They want to get uh, more um, support during hypercare phases when they are setting up new solutions, upgrade their solutions, etc. They're calling SAP to upgrade the system. So then they engage us in what we call bucket of hours packages, 20 up to 150 hours per, um, per month to do all the basis work which is needed. You need to see this um, core service of HEC and the EMS as one component um, to serve everything which is below um, uh, the SAP basis level. On top of it, we put additional managed services. We call them AMS application management services, which are even going one step beyond this technology um, uh, level. And um, I think I would like to dis um, discuss this in a little bit um, deeper uh, on the second slide when we look onto um, this level of, of AMS, application management. When you hear this term, you typically think about um, a, um, a second level support, core functional application support, and 
guess what? Yes, this is included, obviously. Change management, incident management, problem management, event management, all these um, typical uh, core components are the foundation, are the basis of this work. And um, again, this is um, a service which could be requested, but it's not mandatory. Also here, customers have the choice um, to stay with the current AMS provider, to stay with the current SAP CCOE or, or third-party vendor uh, to do all this work or let SAP do it on, on um, their behalf. But it wouldn't be us if we would not have um, built much more on top of uh, these typical core AMS functionalities. So we put a whole stack of proactive services where we can jointly with the customer define their, their specific release plan, align it with our um, internal release schedule and build um, their, um, um, their plan throughout the year. Um, we can um, schedule and not only execute um, uh, the updates, we can also uh, identify which updates need to be um, made um, uh, in their landscape, uh, which are dependent from each other, um, we can test, um, not only automate the test, we can also execute the tests to validate the system landscape uh, subsequently. And we can even put a, what we called a so-called operations control center, a managed operations control center on top of it. Again, in the basis, we are monitoring already um, the system on a technical level in our SAP-owned mission control center across the globe 24 by 7. That from a technology point of view, everything is stable, everything is fine. But it, when it comes to their, your individual business processes, when it comes to monitoring interfaces, when it comes to monitoring um, uh, IDOC queues, when it comes to monitoring um, job schedules, etc., then we have um, the ability to as well set up this kind of operations control centers and monitor exactly your business outcome um, as you as you need it. On top, we even put um, services um, which helps you basically to constantly innovate your systems. Um, we do not want to stay stable and um, like to act as a usual hosting provider. We want to consume the latest innovation um, so that you're already ahead of um, the game, ahead of your own competition um, with the latest technology which SAP delivers to the market. So continuous business improvement, continuously looking uh, what is uh, in the next release. Can I, for instance, switch from a, um, a private cloud already in a public cloud solution? We make you ready for this move. And um, just to give you an idea how the, um, the technical um, managed services and the more functional-oriented application management services work hand-in-hand, hand, I'll give you three, three examples. Technical transport, typically a very um, uh, basis type of um, activity. Um, this can be pushed, obviously, um, via our EMS um, uh, service request. But when it comes uh, later on to uh, validating um, if these transports are um, uh, what the season will um, uh, um, build into uh, the target systems, if uh, business functions um, afterwards are uh, um, still working, we can build test plans, we can execute these uh, test plans, we can set up automated testing for you. Now, second point, technical upgrades. 
obviously we can upgrade systems whenever you like us to do so. We are not forcing you in a managed cloud environment to consume quarterly updates. Um, it is still you um, having the final decision when to move to the latest release, for instance, now to move to S4 um, 17.09. Um, so we can execute on the technology level um, these upgrades, but it, when it comes to building these upgrades in your individual release and the deployment plan, then we can do this jointly with you uh, in an AMS type of scenario. And last but not least, um, all our proactive services uh, when it comes to monitoring, um, as I previously stated, it's not only limited to monitor the technical availability, the technical health of the system, but we can also um, enlarge this to, to monitor business critical functions, interfaces, etc. And um, this was a short glimpse of um, the managed services capabilities. I think it's um, uh, important to note that these services build and complement each other, but it's as well you which um, basically decide on the menu, on um, the meals we'll want to pull from the menu and uh, build the service components which you really want to need. And um, secondly, it is very important to uh, keep in mind that those are flexibly adjustable throughout the um, duration of your contracts. Ted, back to you. Thanks, Art. Well said. Uh, guys, just to uh, close this out, um, you know, here at SAP, we want you to run simple, and we really want our customers' first private cloud experience to be that simple. Uh, we offer a couple of different entry points, uh, one of which is our Cloud Start program, where you can take any HANA project um, and deploy it in a matter of weeks, uh, and SAP gives you the bandwidth to run multiple projects simultaneously and the ability to shift to production uh, whenever your business is ready. Uh, or if you're ready to explore even shorter path to production, uh, we can provide you with the control and stability um, of your on-premise implementation uh, as a monthly service. Um, and this includes all the integrated support from the, the HANA software um, all the way up to the entire managed private cloud environment and all those same capabilities and, and functionalities that, um, that uh, aren't had spoke about um, in our application managed services and our enhanced managed services um, are, are, are both applicable to a cloud start environment or to a, a production environment. Um, and we've got multiple different models to, to help our customers get engaged or really help put them on a path to um, contract and deployment and, and ultimately uh, innovating. So uh, in, in conclusion, uh, Henry already covered on um, some of these items here, um, the four bullets above under IEC. Um, but from our side, um, from the HANA Enterprise Cloud side, uh, we're here to, to deliver flexible engagement um, uh, levels that, um, that span all those sporadic ad hoc services, um, all the way along the spectrum to, to really what we would classify as a, as a SaaS-like fully managed private cloud solution. Uh, and our customers have the ability to, um, the flexibility to switch modes uh, anytime they want. Um, so it's completely flexible across the board. Um, we're also, uh, our managed services portfolio are fully embedded into SAP's overall customer support framework. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to help increase project confidence and while reducing risk. 
And ultimately, we want our customers to be able to focus on business outcomes um, so that SAP can handle um, all the innovation that's needed around the SAP environment. Um, because no um, private cloud So at this point of the webinar, uh, we're going to shift gears to some of the questions that we have in the, uh, the chat room. And we've got about uh, six or seven minutes left. So uh, I'm going to start pulling some questions out. Uh, and uh, Henry and, and Arndt, if you could unmute your phones, uh, let, me pick, um, let me pick one of them and I'll... Uh... So a question came in from um, Emeka from Shell. And it had to do with um, uh, engaging a managed services provider means that IT will not have to develop such technology skills. And I think the question was whether or not IT would need to develop any of those skills uh, at all or uh, they'd be provided um, by a, a managed service provider. Um, Henry, I don't know if you want to answer yeah. that. or, or Yeah, well, I'd, like to, I'd like to talk to that because uh, I saw that question uh, come in as <laughs> From, from this gentleman, from, or from this individual from Shell, the, the thing the thing is what I was uh, was indicating is there are uh, uh, the ability to uh, to do the uh, low level services. Let's give an example. Uh, just just we talk about something concrete. Let's say uh, tuning a uh, a database. Uh, there are very specific uh, skills, protocols, uh, commands for uh, tuning a uh, a database and. Uh, if you're dealing with um, columnar and uh, in-memory databases, there are different kind of parameters, which, which data is in memory, which is in memory, all those kinds of kinds of things. Do you need to know the specific uh, commands to do that, particularly at a uh, – I think what I was trying to emphasize is you need the ability to monitor the uh, the outcomes. What is the uh, performance like? How is the uh, how is the database uh, uh, performing? Uh, many of these tasks, we think, uh, especially with the uh, rise of uh, machine learning for repetitive, uh, low-level tasks, many of these are going to be automated. A service provider has the ability to automate these tasks. So I don't think that means that uh, to manage this, I have to know how to do the uh, the individual uh, you know items that is now part of a uh, automated operations uh, system i do need the ability to monitor the uh, outcomes monitor how the database is performing monitor the availability of the uh, application monitor if there's an integration to see that they uh, the uh, the handoff from one application to another uh, happen i need to have the capability to do all of that but what i was saying is that uh, you don't necessarily uh, have to uh, have people who have the ability to do these things manually that increasingly may be uh, done by an automated system. It's a it's a shift in uh, what the where the value of a uh, of an individual is going to be, and therefore what uh, what your organization uh, can do. But you must have the ability to uh, to monitor, and that should be part of the uh, uh, agreement that you have set up with a service provider. Excellent. Uh, there was another question that came in. Um, so what happens when you need to integrate back to some other on-premise system? Um, Art, uh, yeah, maybe I can, do you want to see if you can handle I can that? take this. Yeah, I was just typing the answer here in, in the chat. Um, so um, uh, integration is happening as uh, it would be on-premise. So we are part of um, the customer's network, all interfaces, all existing interfaces. So for instance, if you would um, migrate an ERP system to an S4 system, um, all the interfaces would work as before. So we are part of your network domain, 
nothing nothing changes so far. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, another question that came in um, was, uh, will you be able to use HANA Enterprise Cloud to develop new apps in Fiori? Aren't, uh, I don't know if you can answer that one. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I already hate my answer because it's a typical consulting answer. It depends. Um, it depends if you want to build real own um, Fury apps. I would rather recommend to use uh, SAP Cloud Platform for the sheer and pure development of, um, of Fury-based applications. If you want to extend, for instance, uh, the Fury apps within S4, um, which is then maybe managed in, in, in the HANA Enterprise Cloud, this um, would be a better solution to go directly in S4, which means within HEC. Excellent. Uh, another question that came in um, from Deloitte, uh, what are the most important things that I should know um, or have strong knowledge uh, while migrating from SAP to S4 HANA? Uh, aren't, I don't know okay. if you can address that one, or Hany, you want to take a stab at it? Yeah, I'll, let, me, let me just say that uh, I think I have answered this online. Um, one of the things I learned from uh, talking to organizations who had been through this process uh, in, uh, in migrating from, uh, say, SAP ECC to, uh, to S4, one of the things that uh, – was a concern was if they had done uh, customizations of the uh, uh, existing application and what happens to all those customizations as they move to uh, to the new application. And that was a big concern, especially for people still considering uh, uh, S4. And it turned out that uh, I started talking about these kind of change management uh, boards in line of business, uh, people, representatives together with IT and senior managers. And uh, uh, a lot of times IT could uh, could demonstrate how the new system was going to work. They could prototype what the, uh, the interface would uh, would look like. And then what these uh, organizations did was, if the line of business person said, yeah, that, that's the way the new system works, but we always did it this way, they had to then go and uh, provide a justification. Uh, the way that they had done things before uh, was, a, uh, in fact, a differentiator for the company in the way they do business, something their customers would uh, represent as uh, added value. Otherwise, it didn't make the test, and they wouldn't apply the customizations. Net-net, in the migration from uh, SAP, say ECC, to, uh, to S4, uh, much fewer of the customizations actually were brought forward, and that made the migration process much easier. Yeah, Henry, I, I just can strongly support what you just said. So we see currently 50-50% um, of customers who want to migrate their existing ERP to S4, and other 50% of uh, basically setting up a greenfield solution and just um, importing the, um, um, the add-ons, the set codes, which they really need to uh, differentiate from their competitors. And actually, right. and I would just... is a good driver of standardization. Yeah? So um, you're not exactly. in a situation where our customers uh, have systems which are not upgradable anymore. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, that word greenfield is really interesting. I always thought a greenfield application was I never had an ERP system before. To see these people who were uh, had ERP systems, say, for 20 years, and now they're, uh, they're putting in the, uh, the say, something like uh, S4, and to hear them talk about S4 as a greenfield solution, 
That meant they were considering it as if they were a new business because they told me they're competing against organizations that literally were uh, were greenfield, much newer, didn't have the baggage of a uh, old system they had to uh, maintain. And if they were new best practices, why should they be footing the old practices in? Unless you can say that this is differentiating for the organization, their business, and to their customers, there's no reason for it. And that's why they had senior managers on these boards to reinforce that uh, objective. So it was very. That was the surprise to me as I talked to organizations. That's how they. Uh, that's how they dealt with this issue. Yep. Another question that came in uh, had to do with the topic of security. Um, so in the area of security for a managed service provider, uh, all business data now exists in the cloud outside of an organization. Uh, who will be liable in case of uh, data theft? Answering this, this is clearly described in our security framework. Um, when it comes to security, I think we had these questions um, two or three years ago um, when it comes to the, um, uh, the, the discussion cloud or on-premise. But honestly, and um, here I always um, quote a, a, a Swiss example, yeah? Swiss-German example, it might not be uh, as well known here in the U.S. Um, the, some banks in um, Switzerland yeah, had been um, affected by administrators, internal administrators, getting their uh, customer um, uh, data um, uh, burned onto a DVD or CD-ROM and then basically sold to the um, German financial um, uh, officers. Yeah, and this was internal IT having access to these systems. Um, could you imagine this happen basically to a cloud provider? We spent a fortune of money in monitoring the activities of our own administrators via own software, which is not publicly available, for instance. And uh, not we are doing this, other cloud providers are doing this as well. And then when it comes to uh, liability, I think uh, we already uh, done. So we need to do everything to prevent these data losses. And um, this is something where cloud providers, regardless of SAP or, or others, are really spending the money and getting um, the most um, secure and most, most hardened uh, governance processes in place to exactly prevent this from happening. Yeah. All right. Um, we had one other question, um, and it had to do with TCO. Uh, aren't I think you might have answered it in the chat. Um, yeah, TCO, Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's always an interesting question. Um, is cloud cheaper than on-premise? Um, um, uh, what is the business case looking uh, like, et cetera? Honestly, there is no, um, no, no, no answer which basically um, uh, tickles all kinds of customers across the globe. Um, this needs to be um, it needs to be an individual business case for your specific case to look into the skill set into um, um, which um, infrastructure you are using um, uh, what kind of um, future plan do you have in expanding your business etc so uh, usually uh, we see positive PCO otherwise we would not be in the business and um, other other customers are uh, have made the business case and all the business cases have been very positive. 
but I cannot quote this as 50%, 30%, or whatever percent better than on-premise. So this needs to be very thoroughly um, thought after. We need your data, and then we can build jointly a business case. Yeah. Yeah. All right, folks. Um, it looks like we've um, we've gone over by a couple of minutes. Uh, I think there was maybe one or two questions that we couldn't get to. Um, yes, the uh, slides will be made available. Uh, a PDF version of the slides will be um, packaged up and sent out to anybody who's uh, registered for the session, um, and we'll be sending out a, a link to the, um, the on-demand uh, recording for this. Uh, and we'll try to get back to some of the questions that uh, I think we might have missed, but um, I don't know if we would have been able to answer them with um, uh, you know, the expertise that we had in the room here seeing how some of them were really just focused more on um, S4 HANA specifically versus, uh, you know, a cloud implementation um, type question. So uh, with that, folks, uh, we hope this was uh, a useful uh, 60 minutes of your uh, uh, morning or afternoon. Um, and um, please look forward to um, the next webinar that we'll have at the end of the month. Uh, we will be partnered up with uh, um, Oxford Economics to focus in on how finance leaders are leveraging cloud technologies to stay ahead of the curve. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day.